Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning. This is uh, this is a show about horror stuff. You know, we're going to be talking about dark things and and horror culture. So there could be topics of, uh, of conversations such as uh, child abuse, rape, murder, foul language, uh, uh, parental advisement, par- parental discretion Advisory. is advised. I always fuck that up. I can say fuck that up now that I got the uh, the trigger warning over with. Yeah, so we're, we're going to be talking about fucked up shit. <laughs> Stumbling over the thing. But I'll get across the finish line. We're, we're only on podcast like 50 something or so. I'll get it right one of these days. Right. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a regular eight hour sleep before one of these. I don't know. Anyway, happen. Yeah, right. All right. Uh, coming up in the future, we still have a pretty, pretty good uh, full list. We're going to be talking to a few more podcasters from the Slumber Party Massacre podcast, Nikki Williams and Heather Powell. I think that will uh, round out the... Uh, I almost said trio, but quad? I think there's five. No, of them. actually, I think it's five. Yeah, yeah we, we've talked good. to three of them. So yeah, yeah. Good group there. Uh, after that, we got authors Autumn Christian, Sarah Langan, and Josh Mallerman. Mallerman? We're going Mallerman. Good question. <laughs> And after that, uh, director Eduardo Sanchez. But today we have with us author Danger Slater, known for such works as I Will Rot Without You, He Digs a Hole, and Puppet Skin. Welcome. Hey, what's up? Oh, hey. <laughs> I, I didn't know if I was allowed to talk during your intro. I kept wanting to jump in and, and start. Nah, it know. doesn't help when I jumble over the words, too. Yeah, it's usually welcome <laughs> is your cue. <laughs> well, I just like you were going through your trigger warning and you're like, you're naming all this horrible stuff, tr- child abuse and rape, and then, and then just foul language. Right. Yeah, <laughs> we might say shit. You never know what's gonna send. Yeah, you never know what's gonna set people off. Heavens to Murgatroyd. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The murder and the child rape was fine, but I, I hard stop with the word fuck. Tis a curse yeah. for it. Yeah. Welcome to America. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you've taken a listen to any of our past episodes, but uh, the general way it goes here is we ask you questions about your childhood adult uh, teenage years and adulthood finding out what it is that you like about horror coming at it from these three different directions kind of you know sometimes triggers memories that you might have forgotten um oh before we jump into the meat of the interview i almost forgot again uh what um what are you currently working on what am i currently working i have a book coming out soon a new book is that is that what we're doing or am i plugging is that what that is Or, 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 or is it what i'm like literally working on (laughs) <laughs> whatever you would prefer you could even plug somebody else's stuff if you'd prefer no nah, fuck them uh <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i'm gonna have a book it's coming out called moon fellows which is a space sci-fi uh mm. or horror existential horror book i guess you, you would call it sort of fairy tale alternate history it's everything essentially <laughs> combination of goodfellas and moonraker I like <laughs> uh, you know what it's not but it should have been now that you say funny funny how it was it was it's more it's more it's more like fellows like uh like english gentlemen uh yeah. you know proper geographic society type gentlemen <laughs> trying to explore space in hot air balloons hmm. okay <laughs> okay yeah it's more, more of a jules verne a little more Jews Verne, yeah. Yes. 
Okay. Interesting. With some horror mixed in, because that's that's what I do. Yeah. 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 You gotta. (laughs) I think I forgot to say, it's it's not meant to be a therapy session, so if there's anything you don't want to say, just pass and we'll move on. Um, But that being said, uh, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things? You know, I saw a gremlin once. (laughs) Like, like in action, like from the movie. Yeah. I okay. swear to God, I woke up, <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night and I looked out in my hallway and I saw the shadow of a gremlin with, hmm. in the nightlight against the wall. Did it end up being something that was just shaped like a gremlin or was, I mean, cause I don't not believe in situations like this. Like you see a shadow, you look mm-hmm. away and then you look back and it's totally fucking gone. But there was something there. Like, was it one of those or was it just like a coat hanger on a rack kind of thing? It honestly might have been the dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you have like a, a chihuahua or anything with clipped ears, that could definitely be a gremlin. <laughs> but you know, when you're when you're when you're uh, seven years old, uh, a, a dog, little nails clicking on a hallway in the dark, and a weird mm-hmm. shadow on the wall could be just about anything, right? Plus, I watched like I watched that movie pretty much like every day, so maybe I just had gremlins on my mind. Could be right. Yeah. <laughs> That's how dreams work, according to some. <laughs> well, it's how child's children's brains work too. I mean, I can remember waking up in the middle of the night and thinking that I saw something, you know, in the shadows of one of the corners of my room and freaking out. Like, never really talked about that too much, but it, you know, it, I, I definitely do remember that happening happening a couple different nights, mm-hmm. and you just like stare into the darkness trying to see, and of course you can't. Yeah, my dad, my my dad was really fucked up, though, too, because he did this thing where he used to tell me that there was an axe murderer that lived under our staircase in the basement. Like most kids are scared (laughs) of the basement just because it's dark and and weird. But my dad was really leaning into this. And he's just he's just he he said there was an axe murderer. Yes. He said that there used to be an axe murderer that lived in our house and that he disappeared and no one knew where he went. And he said he hears him sometimes underneath the staircase. So if I'm walking down the Sharpening stairs, his axe. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if I'm walking down the stairs, this guy's going to pop out and get me. And to this day, if I if I say the basement, he'll bring up the axe murderer. He's like not backing down. <laughs> I'm, almost, I'm almost 40 years old. He's not backing down. Committing to the bit. Nice. <laughs> Did he have a history of uh, liking to scare you? I think he just liked to fuck with me. He, I don't know if mm-hmm. he liked to specifically scare me. But I think anything that got a reaction out of me is kind of where he was going. And mm. I was into horror stuff even as a little kid. So that's kind of where he would where he would go. Uh, I used to have sleepovers. This, this only happened one time, but this is kind of ties into that. I had a sleepover and we were in the basement, you know, me and my friends. And they had finished it up and, and there was a window on the side. And it, in the middle of the freaking night, it was like, one in the morning, he went outside and started tapping on the window and like scratching on it to freak us all out. Nice touch. Yeah, that's nice. Good <laughs> well, I like that. Uh, the first thing that come first things that come to mind aren't even like books or movies or or anything. It's like real life stuff. Mm-hmm. Even though you know it wasn't wasn't real, but you know yeah. you thought it was real at the time. Well, I mean, the books and in movies they all kind of tie in into it i was like i said i was very much into horror as a little kid but i also like i was scared of et yeah like especially uh, well he's ugly mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and and then he gets and then in the in the middle of the movie he gets sick and he turns all white and he's like dying and they and they put him in that 
tent and the government tent or whatever. And I was just like, it just horrified me. I, if I was that boy, I would have been like, keep this thing. Keep it away from me. <laughs> like, I don't want, I don't want to be on a flying bicycle. That sounds terrifying too. Like right? the ground, it's just a bicycle. Like, yeah. if there's no, there's no safety harness. We're going to fall into <laughs> our death. And all I have is this little nutsack looking alien to protect me. <laughs> Who doesn't even speak English. So I can't be like, Hey, yeah. slow down or turn this way. Like, no, right. no, he's just, Elliot. there's a tree. <laughs> Fuck Elliot. There's a tree. Right. Yeah. Tree. What if, he, what, if, what if he dies in the middle of the flight? Yeah. <laughs> he falls asleep. What are you going to do? Yeah. He's like, I, I go, I travel. I do have interstellar travel. Like, this is nothing. I'm just going to take a nap. And then <laughs> it like, just starts plummeting slowly. <laughs> but yeah, a- Aliens was a big one. Aliens, th- I wasn't so much scared of like monsters movies and stuff in the closet, and, but like aliens freaked me out. Mm-hmm. E- even, you know, and, and stuff like, like Fire in the Sky. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you remember that, that film. Like, Fire hmm. in the sky. I do not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was it's supposedly a, a true story. So that's yeah. kind of what really got me. It was about this guy oh, in, yeah, in okay. Arizona. I think his name was uh, Travis Walton. Travis Walton. Yep. yep. And he he was a logger, and him and his friends were coming back from a job or something, and they, and they saw a weird light, and he disappeared for a bunch of days. And uh, but the movie itself, uh, you know, it's about did this guy something happen to him? Did it not? But there's this whole sequence in the third act of the movie where they take you on the ship and show you what he would have seen as if, if he was abducted by aliens. So you have this intense mm. sequence of just aliens torturing a man. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that at a young age or was that later on? I was in third grade when it came out and I, my mom told me not to go to the movies and see it. And I did anyway. So of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, bullshit, Bob, I could handle this. I'm, I'm in third grade now. I'm 11 years, 10 years old. I can watch a movie. I'm not scared of ET no more. But yeah, that no, night, I'm scared I, of other aliens. Yeah. <laughs> these aliens were not as nice as ET. So I, if I was scared mm. of the nice one, these ones were doing eyeball torture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so aliens. Hmm. E.T. So a, a second ago, when you said aliens, were you were you talking about like aliens the movie or alien the movie or just like, aliens in general? No, well, that's the because I'm thinking thing. if you didn't like E.T. or Fire in the Sky, I'm thinking Alien the movie probably would not have been very funny <laughs> for you either. I was mercifully spared that until I was old enough to handle it. I don't my my <laughs> <laughs> my mom wasn't like a big. She didn't really monitor all that much of what I watched. She's just like, oh, you like horror movies. Like, that's what we'll watch. But she only put on the ones that she personally also liked. So mm-hmm. if, if like, I never saw Star Wars because she's like, I don't like that. So hmm. you don't get to watch it. <laughs> you know? Okay. Um, but she liked Beetlejuice. So we, I watched Beetlejuice nonstop, you know? So it was like that <laughs> kind of shit. Okay. So if it's only a horror that mom liked, uh, I guess we could have her on the call. Yeah. <laughs> you, know what she, you know what she liked, though, which did scare the crap out of me? Poltergeist. Ah, that was yeah. a good yeah, That was a good one. And I, I'm, not, I'm not like a big ghost spooky, like we're worried about ghosts and stuff like that. But even watching that movie now, I, we watched it, I think, a year or two ago. And I'm just like, this is just a good horror movie. It, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Something about like the the effects, that guy tearing his face up and shit. Oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Like, I mean, there's yeah. there's levels with Poltergeist to to be scared about. Like you said, the guy tearing his face apart, 
the good mix of practical and special effects and the fact that they used real corpses in a pool, you know, there's, there's also <laughs> that. Wait, I, didn't, I didn't realize till I watched it like last year, but I'm like, oh, this is about like their 60s ideology getting like bulldozed by Reagan economics and in, in like the future of, of, of like commodification of the suburbs and shit. And I'm like, of <laughs> course, I didn't put any of that together when I was. All about gentrification. <laughs> but that's, yeah, it's about the fear mm-hmm. of the suburbs. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, Steve, if you uh, weren't aware the, in the, the scene with the pool where the wife goes into the pool and there's all the dead bodies coming up out of it, mm-hmm. those were real corpses that Toby Hooper used. Yeah. And the actress did not know it until after filming. I don't think I've ever heard that before. That's rather disgusting. Yeah, right? Like, how is that the most cost-effective method? I feel like it would be more (laughs) difficult to secure a bunch of dead bodies than literally just like a prop of a, like a little rubber prop. Oh, it was the 80s. I'm going to have to research this again because that does sound like like bunk. Like, there's so many things wrong with it. She was in a pool. There's water. She basically got corpse water in her mouth. How was he not sued? (laughs) That has to be a myth, maybe. I, I don't know. I'm going to look into it. Not to mention, if you were going to try to get, well, hmm, I could see it both ways. On one hand, I was going to say, if you were wanting to get like real reactions on film, tell the actress that they're real corpses. On the other hand, if you want to get sued, Mm -hmm. or or she might refuse to go in there altogether, in which case then you've wasted your shot. So (laughs) true. Or wasted the day. Uh, okay, so E.T., e- flying bike, ugly one, uh, <laughs> uglier one, sick, fire in the sky, alien, alien abduction, obviously uh, eyeball torture is no fun. You said you kind of like Poltergeist. Was there something in particular that scared you from Poltergeist? Well, the fact that it was about a, a little girl getting taken kind of resonated with me as a, yeah. you know, I was around her age probably when the when I first saw that film, so... You know, and and it was a normal house that looked like the house that I lived in, a normal suburban house. And I was like, you don't know. You could just disappear into the closet <laughs> and, and, and not know. And, and then your parents can barely do anything and no one could do anything. And all these people show up. They have all these experts come and no one really knows how to save her. I mean, they obviously figure stuff out by the end of the movie. Right. Or do they? You know, I don't want to do a spoiler on a 40 year old movie, but, you know, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, it was a it was a harrowing experience, and it's just effective filmmaking too. So it's just a they know how to build tension uh, in in a way a lot of movies, especially movies that kids would watch today, aren't really built to do. That reminds me. Now I'm sitting here thinking about it. I was like, how did they get there back? I'm vaguely recalling her being born from something, but I don't remember what. Like they pulled her out of something. Yeah, the, the they, like protoplasm out of the ceiling. Yeah, yeah, within, with, but with an umbilical cord, they have like a rope, so it is like a rebirth sort of thing. They yeah. like slops out in this goop <laughs> onto the floor yeah. in the living room. They really <laughs> thought of the symbolism there. It, yeah, it's kind of a birth. Yeah. Huh. yeah, or rebirth. Were you legitimately scared of these at the time, or was there any understanding that you were supposed to be entertained by these? Well, I, obviously, I was having fun, or I don't think I would be. <laughs> would have been doing it at all watching any of these films mm-hmm. but the reason i think that aliens in particular scared me and not so much stuff with ghosts or monsters or rubber suit creatures or whatever is because i even even today like when i approach horror films and stuff i'm like aliens have the potential to actually be real i guess all of us could potentially be real but i would rationalize away i'd say well 
Is there ghosts? I don't know if I really believe in that. There's nothing that says that that's something that exists. But mm-hmm. thinking about the vastness of the universe, you know, scientists are saying there's aliens. There's there's a good chance that these things are out there, you know, and there's mm-hmm. videos of UFOs and stuff. And so that to me felt a lot more real and immediate and like something that could actually threaten me as opposed to, uh, I, I don't know, something like a Godzilla or something. <laughs> yeah. Or like vampires right. or werewolves. Yeah. It's, I yeah. Get it. Like aliens are potentially more real than the others. Yeah. So, so those movies would scare, especially something like Spire in the Sky, which was supposed to be a true story and is presented right. in a very dramatic fashion. Not, it's not presented like a horror movie, except for that one sequence. It's really just almost like a true crime movie or a, a detective thing. They're trying to figure out what happened to this guy. That to me was what was scaring me as, as opposed to like a, some like Freddy Krueger, which I also watched and loved, but that was a lot more fun. <laughs> well, I mean, that makes sense. The whatever, and that's true for everybody, whatever you don't think is potentially real probably isn't going to scare you as much as the things that you think could be real. Yeah. Other than um, your mom and dad, did you have anybody else in your family or friends group that were fans of horror? When you were a kid? Well, I, ha- I had this cousin who, uh, this goes right back to Freddy Krueger, which I just mentioned, but he was, he, the reason I watched Freddy Krueger or the original Nightmare on Elm Street is because my cousin was obsessed with it. So much so that he had built himself a Freddy Krueger glove. He, oh. he put like the knives on the end and he would walk around and just wear it all day, wear it all Christmas, whenever <laughs> I'd see him. <laughs> <laughs> he had butter knives on the end of it, obviously. His mom's out letting him okay, walk okay. around. With so he was, uh, was challenging. Yes. Right. <laughs> but, but he built his own Freddy Krueger glove. That was like his favorite thing. Cool. Yeah. Uh, was it just that movie that he liked or was he like a horror fan in general? Honestly, as, as far as I know, it was just that. Just one. Film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you have any reoccurring dreams when you were a kid? Mm, no. Not not when I kid. Okay. I have more reoccurring dreams now. Hmm. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you participate in Halloween? Oh, yeah. Loved Halloween. Favorite costume? I still love Halloween. Uh, I, my favorite costumes. Oh, my we were so poor. <laughs> like <laughs> when I was real little, we were poor. I, I we got my my parents got better jobs. I guess my I, favorite I, costume was having a costume. Yeah. Well, my first one was the <laughs> was basically the dollar store. It was a Reese's peanut butter cup, hmm? which you're like, what? how what how can someone be a Reese's peanut butter cup? Well, it was terrifying because your body was a candy bar wrapper, and your you had a one of those cheap plastic masks on your face that just cover uh-huh. the front part with the string mm-hmm. but it was a peanut yeah. butter cup man with a big old like clown smile on his face oh, it was, yeah it was fucking weird looking is this your favorite or a least favorite <laughs> yeah right that's my most traumatic one okay uh, yeah. right, we'll talk about that as least favorite was there a you costume that you that didn't terrify you or yeah like what was a good one I dressed up as my teacher one year who was completely unamused by it. <laughs> <laughs> he, had a, he had like a big, a big beer gut and a mustache, like a, like a kind of Guido-y, Italian-y look, look, like slick mustache. Was he able to recognize that you were, you were dressing up as him? I think so. Yeah. I wore, <laughs> I wore the Dockers in a, in a, <laughs> in a little button down and everything. And uh, I mean, if he didn't recognize it, I made, definitely made sure he knew what was going on. <laughs> and he did not find it very amusing. So, well, <laughs> the highest form of flattery. What's yeah. up with that? Yeah. 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 
It was a hit with the other kids in my class. That was really what I was I'm going sure. for. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Nothing else terrifying in real life. No scary dreams. Oh my god! I found um, it. Jesus, that is terrifying. What? Oh, the, uh, oh, the costume. The, the Reese's uh, cup. Yeah, that's. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you I, get I uh, Does it come with a first prize ribbon? That's fucking weird. Yeah, you're the you're the best. You're what? the best Reese's man. Yeah. <laughs> like the, it also it also was scratch and sniff. Oh no! Oh it my is. God! Are yeah, you serious? Yeah. Here. <laughs> so, so everybody's leaning over and smelling you because you oh, smell like a peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> so all the adults are like sniffing me. Creepiness of the costume aside, I can see how that would be traumatizing because you're going out on Halloween dressed as the thing that everyone eats. What the <laughs> and all the parents are leaning into you, going, "Yeah, mm. <laughs> 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 boy." <laughs> oh god i had uh i'd never heard of this before but yeah that's awesome that's great yeah oh reese's should bring if reese's if you're out there listening you should bring that back yeah it's terrifying very if i I ever have kids i am making them wear that for their first (laughs) whether they want to or not yeah my father was a reese's i was a reese's god my father before Yes, <laughs> you come from a long line of peanut butter cups. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right, so uh, I guess that covers everything in the childhood years. Jump into teenage years. Um, what are some of the uh, scary stories or books or movies that you uh, partook in in your teenage years? I must have been a teenager. My, one of my first and most, one of my most impressionable movies I've ever seen. One of my favorite horror movies still is, is Dead Alive. And I saw that ah. when I was, I think in sixth grade or maybe it was okay, fifth okay. grade. So I was very early teen year, but I was just like blown away by what it was. I didn't understand that it was necessarily a comedy at first. Uh- I was just like, oh, it's like the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. But by the end of the movie, I was like completely enraptured. I'm like, oh, you can have it be funny and do this at the same time. Mm. Yeah, it's still okay. very disgusting. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but like, how do you not notice that blood just dripped in your custard soup? Like, that's how, how, it's right there. It's red. The rest of it's yellow. Yeah, right. Even in, even in my own like writing and art and stuff, I, I've always lean into the kind of gross out factor just because of how impressionable that was for me. So even if I'm trying to be scary, I'm like, I also have to be gross. <laughs> like it's, just, <laughs> it's just part of it, like gross, rotting body stuff. I think that's kind of what happens in your teenage year, too, though, in teenage years, you kind of get into that, like knowledge of like your own mortality. It's like something that kind of dawns on you. So looking at and your body's changing, obviously, too. So right. body stuff is just like where you're at. And that and trauma were, were like my jams back then. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did you start? Was it particularly body horror that was bothering you at the time? Or? Yeah, well, it still does. But yes, like that, it, like I said, trauma, too. They, they used to do. Um, I don't know if you guys ever saw this or even how old you are to be honest but they had this show uh called up all night on usa which was oh, yeah. mm-hmm. gilbert godfrey hosted it <laughs> they would play like old trauma movies and just like gross out g- goofy gore b movies in the middle of the night and that was like 
sleepover must watch uh-huh. television. <laughs> I remember up all night, but I don't remember Gilbert Godfrey hosting. I thought it was I, like uh, Elvira or something. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it was Gilbert. She had one, and he had one, and Joe Bob Briggs had one. There was a bunch of yeah. horror TV back 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 then. I realized though, I'm realizing in these sleepovers that I think I was. I th- I'm like, oh, me and my friends all loved horror. I think it was just me, and I was the one picking the movies. <laughs> yep, you were the one because like, you were the one out. <laughs> like I was the one who was always like, it's got to be this film. This is the one. We figured it out, and they're all just like, uh, yeah, man. I just want to eat a bunch of Swedish fish and like. Right out, like I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Your house, dude. You know what? I'm trying to think. I, I also read at this time. Uh, this is gonna. I'm gonna bring this whole show down right now. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> because I read. I read a book called Man's Search for Meaning around this time too. I was a little later in my teenage years. I was probably in late high school at this point. But this is a book written by a Holocaust survivor about the Ooh. meaning of life. It was written in. It was written in the 40s. It was like right after World War II. <laughs> Wow. Right. So it was very fresh in this guy's mind, and he was trying to kind of understand the point of <laughs> life and how to move on and, and stuff like that. And there's a right. big section of the book that kind of talks about the Holocaust from a first person point of view survival story. And I just remember this wave of depression coming over me you know the book's about kind of trying to overcome that but i kind of having never had to experience that kind of trauma in my life had the exact opposite thing like the book was the trauma in a lot of ways i was like oh i this is this happens to people like life isn't all just goofy gore comedies (laughs) like yeah this shit is like real also yes yeah that that can definitely uh, change a person. Not as if living the event didn't. It's yeah. um, some pretty heavy shit to, uh, to read when you're young. Yeah, yeah. Was there anything in particular that stood out to you as a memory in that book? Like that really grossed you out, or it, it's just the whole aspect of what was going on. And it's like the book is not long. It's like 150 pages or something, and it's split into mm-hmm. two halves. The first half is the, the Holocaust talking about it specifically the the event and the second half is like how do i move on and what do i do with life and how do we as people build and understand what it is to be human in our own existence uh mm-hmm. they're both kind of terrifying in their own way you know the holocaust is <laughs> such a bummer why am i fucking bringing up the holocaust god damn it because uh, it's <laughs> no i mean this podcast does often delve into some dark shit. I mean, that's yeah. that's of the course. So yeah, yeah. It's just, I'm it's curious. Just, I don't about, like to even think. I don't like to think about it. Like that's kind of what it is. It's too. It's too real. Yeah, <laughs> mm. yeah. I'm curious though. You said one thing that was sort of interesting. You mentioned these two halves of the book, and then you said the the half that talked about how do I move on was also jarring for you. How did? Why, why was that part of the book? Well, Difficult. there's, uh, it's hard to say the, this, the whole act of self-examination or looking inward is like, it takes a lot of vulnerability to do that. And being vulnerable is terrifying in a lot of ways. Yes. So a book that was forcing me for the first time to consider a lot of things from a lot of different perspectives that I hadn't had before was making me very introspective and becoming introspective was making me 
existential in thinking about my own life, my own mortality, my own place in the universe and how small it is and how small mm. even these huge events are to the grand scheme of things. And it's just that kind of macroscopic scale while kind of examining my place in that is, is yes, affected me and terrified me. And again, is part of the makeup of how I approach horror myself yeah. <laughs> that, that topic kind of came up in uh when we did our initial interviews of each other didn't that topic come up in your interview steve just the uh the fear or not even the the fear but the discomfort of knowing that you are so small in comparison to the rest of the universe right yes yeah. for me particularly <clears throat> um although for me it's kind of the opposite in that because of the things that i experienced growing up and the things that I learned going through counseling and therapy and 12 step stuff. And for me, it's more the opposite in that when I look out at the universe, it's more of almost of a defiant thing of being able to now say and know that I have a right to exist here despite everything else. But that's speaking as an adult on this and he's talking about the experience that he had as, you know, basically a child going through this stuff and, you know, potentially not having the kind of viewpoint that I had to go to counseling to get. So I could definitely see how that, that could come about. Well, it's, I think it wavers too, even as an adult, right? You have moments of like, I'm a part of the, the world and this is my life and everything it feels important because it is important. And then in the 3 a.m., you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, I'm going to die and everything is nothing means anything, you know? And then, mm-hmm. although I did hear somebody say something really that says, don't listen to anything your brain tells you between two and six in the morning. <laughs> Very good advice. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So after, after I, yeah, yeah. So that when I wake up and I, I have existential terror, I'm just like, you know what? This is just my brain. It's just it's three thirty yep. in the morning. It's just being weird. Let's just kind of go back to bed <laughs> and see how we feel in the yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go go to sleep, brain. You're drunk. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's funny though. You're sitting here talking about the self reflection as vulnerable and dangerous situation. And I'm thinking to myself, did anybody tell him what this podcast is about? No. Um, no, it, it, I can see your point though. As you say, it is, uh, it does put you in a vulnerable position and particularly when dealing with mortality and, and the size of the universe and all that kind of stuff that can, that's, I don't want to say it's dangerous, but I, I could see how that could be borderline. Well, even possibly traumatic for, for certain kids, if you're not prepared for that. Um, how did wait a minute? How did you even come across this book? Speaking of you know not being prepared for that. Oh, I, I I was a big reader when I was a kid, and so I mean all through my whole life. But my, my mom and parents never monitored what I was reading. They just wanted me to mm-hmm. want to read. So if I said I wanted, just like pick it up at the library or something. I, well, I went to a used bookstore, and I just gra- I would just you know grab a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, there was a great used bookstore not too far from where we lived. So I would just kind of load up and work my way through it. My mom started buying, only buying really long books for me, though, 
because she just didn't want to stop <laughs> keep you busy. Like, yeah, she was like, "You read too fast. Like you can't read you can't read Goosebumps. There are only they're only a hundred pages. That's not long enough." Here's a Stephen King book, like seven hundred pages. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, buy me some time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't know what made me. I mean, like I said, I was a little later in high school, so I was like an older teenager at this point. I wasn't a child, child, mm-hmm. but I don't know what made me pick it up to begin with. I think it was just. I said, man, search for meaning. Oh, I want meaning. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, the book, you know, I didn't realize it was, it was a book about working through trauma. I was like, yeah. there's no answer at the end of this. This is not what I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to life, kid. <laughs> uh, what do you mean there's no answer at the end? Yeah. I thought the title was making a promise to me. It didn't. <laughs> it's a question mark at the end of it. Yeah, no question mark. It's period. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> all right, so dead alive, trauma up all night, man search for meaning. Anything else jump out at you as uh, impactful in your teenage years? No. Well, I, my hometown was really weird, oh, so. and I didn't I didn't realize this until I've been putting together notes for uh, another book I'm planning to write about a, a town that's kind of based off my hometown. And I called. I was talking to one of my friends that I grew up with, and I'm just like man, I'm making a list of some of the weird shit from our town to see if I could use it in this book. And I'm like, there's too much. Like I can't, yeah. I, I can't use all this stuff. It was a, it, it was a, books. yeah, well, <laughs> it was a, it was a, it's, the town was called Hopakon. It's kind of like 30 miles outside of New York city in New Jersey. And yeah. it, mm-hmm. there's a is big, how you pronounce that? I've always wondered. I thought it was like, yeah. Hopak- Hopakong is what everybody says, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, uh, are you from, are you from Jersey? No. Okay, <laughs> I I lived upper New Jersey for a couple of years in high school. Yeah. Okay. Um. So the, this this lake Burden is a, yeah. It, it, this lake's a big lake, and it was a it, there's a big lake in the middle of town. Sorry, and it was a place that in the 50s and 40s and 30s, where all the celebrities would go to vacation from New York. They would mm-hmm. they would get in their cars. I guess cars were new. And they drive out to the the middle of nowhere, which was this town in Jersey, and they would all have these nice houses and they had a big amusement park there. And my dad even used to go to this amusement park when he was a kid. It's called Bertram's Island. But when we moved there, when I was a child, all of that was gone and all that was left was like the remnants of it. So there's just like an mm. old abandoned, destroyed amusement park in the middle of town. <laughs> awesome. Mm. Yeah. And all these like just stuff that was forgotten. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's a, obviously a, a thriving community with new houses that they that people built and lived in but all them throughout peppered throughout the woods and all around the lake itself are just things that used to be something and now they're not and nobody some of it you know some of it looks like an old destroyed amusement park with <laughs> big pillars and old roller coaster cars and stuff but some of it is just mm-hmm. like a weird thing on the ground that is a weird paved area that doesn't have anything it's shaped we called it the octagon it was shaped like an octagon <laughs> and we don't know what was there but somebody spray painted a bunch of satanic shit there and we would go up there and go this is weird <laughs> yep. yep as you do yeah there was the, the, even like the trails there's a lot of dirt biking trails the trails out there were called devil's footprint mm. it was very it was very i don't know it was very spooky just the town yeah. itself we, we had a an old train track too that went through town that there's no train anymore, but the track area was still kind of there, even though the tracks were all gone, basically. 
but there was this thing called the ice tunnel. And we call we called it that. It was a, about a quarter mile stretch of a tunnel through a mountain that the, this train that doesn't exist anymore would go used to go through. And we called it the ice tunnel because it never got warm enough to melt the ice in the middle of it. Oh. <laughs> so there would cool. always be ice in it. And you know, the the thing was, could you make it to the other side of this tunnel? Right. Yeah. So basically like a a haunted living in a haunted house for a couple of years. Living in a haunted well, but yeah, well you mix that. All that crap, this weird, creepy, old, forgotten town with my dad torturing me about people ready to kill me <laughs> that live under my staircase. I was just like, this place is creepy and I want to move somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, had you seen people under the stairs as a kid? And, and is that like kind of relatable? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah I, I I actually did see that movie as a kid, but I thought I kind of really recognized how fun that movie was yeah, from the early yeah, that age. It was, was more funny. Yeah. Um. So by this time, did you have any friends that were more into horror, or was it still just you? I I think I had friends that were into no. I you know what I didn't. I didn't have friends that were into horror. I again. I'm having this realization right now that it was just me <laughs> and I thought it was everybody. We would all go to check out whatever new horror movie was coming out. And this was like when I was in high school, it was kind of like scream. So there was that little wave of slashers that were coming out, like mm-hmm. specifically made for teen audiences and stuff. Yes, and so I was yeah. the one who was just like, yeah, let's go check. This one's going to be great. Uh, the urban legend. It's going to be great. The Valentine. It's going to be great. Uh, gossip. I don't know. Whatever the hell the new one was like, I would go to every single one and it was the same group that was going with me. But I realize I'm realizing just now because none of them are into horror anymore. None of them have, have ever really talked about their love of horror with me. I'm like, I think it was just me that was kind of leading the charge going, these are the movies that are good. And they were just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> we just want to go out. It's Friday. And we're teenagers. <laughs> as you say those a lot of those were marketed towards teenagers so it would make sense that you know if you had a group of teenagers that they would be leaning into going to those whether they would consider them a a huge horror fan or not and if you ask them at the time if they were a horror fan they might even say yes to a degree because maybe for some kids you know they may not have the sort of you know visibility that comes with being older and And also the internet has changed things a lot too. I mean, I can remember, you know, if I was a kid, the number of people that I would have considered horror fans in the town that I grew up in would have been relatively small. You know, it's the internet has been a great connector of all of these little, um, you know, niches, which has been good and bad. I mean, all of the, for example, anybody in, in high school that would have been considered a nerd or a geek now is one of millions, hundreds of millions of people that can connect online and, and realize that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's also some very bad people that get together online and realize, hey, we're not alone either. And yeah. that's yeah. not so great either. But going back to your town there, yeah, so that it's interesting because I remember being a kid and you know, there's, there were also, excuse me, also little odd things in a lot of the different places that I grew up too, but nothing as big as Bertrand's Island. Um, I'm sure there were, as you say, you know, going through the woods and whatnot, finding other stuff on top of that, 
There, yeah, there was abandoned summer homes everywhere. We would because we would just go walk in the woods. You know, we're just we wanted to get away from our parents and just fuck around and do whatever, break bottles, smoke cigarettes, do whatever teenage boys do. You know, yeah. Yeah. and uh, uh, the woods. There was just it's New Jersey, so it's not empty. There's a lot of people that live there, but this town yes. in particular has a lot of trails like like spaces between houses that would give you mm. places to kind of hide and when you would walk on these trails you would just discover abandoned houses one after another yeah. they were everywhere because they were just summer homes that people just stopped going to and it was weird because yeah. they would have like the door would be kicked open so we go well let's yeah. check it out nobody lives here yeah. And there would literally exactly still be like scary movies begin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's even scarier because there's like it feels like someone had been there and just disappeared because the food is in the fridge, but it's all rotten. The couch is still there. The bed is still there. Everything is still there. It's just all rotted away because for whatever reason, 10, 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it was, they just stopped coming here and never yep. picked up their stuff. And because it was in the woods, no one thought about it. <laughs> yep. So I'm looking at, some of this stuff, as we said before, there was there's often a dividing line where uh, before that, kids will think that something is you know horrific or traumatic and not realize that there's something to be enjoyed here. Um, I think you said Dead Alive was the first one where you realized, hey, you can mix comedy. I, I mean, yes and yes and no, because something like. Like I would watch Beetlejuice all throughout my childhood, but I never thought of it as a horror movie. I always thought of it as a comedy, even though it's using all horror imagery and horror. It's very stuff. cartoonish. Yes. Yeah. Oh. It, but yeah, Dead Alive was the one that I was like, I, I felt forbidden in a lot of ways because of how extreme it was like this. I'm hmm. like, oh, this is something that I feel like especially at my age, I shouldn't be watching yet. I am. <laughs> and then it was dawning on me how like, I'm like, Oh, I get it. I get what makes this fun. Yeah. And it was, it was about fifth grade, sixth grade. Can you expound on that? What made it fun? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just like, let me rephrase that. What made it fun to you? Cause what, what you think is fun could be different from somebody else. Well, there's obviously the thrill of, the visceral thrill of a horror movie, which is like our, our characters in danger. They are in a situation that they're fucked and they need to try and get out of it. And uh, we don't know if they're going to make it or not. Although 95% of the time they make it because that's how movies work. Yeah. Right. But then, I, but then how far everything went, because there was like, and I, I, I do again, I, how influential this was to me as an artist. I, I go, how far you could go. You go to, you go, this is the line. This is what a zombie movie is. And then this movie goes, no, I'm going to run way past this line. <laughs> and I'm going to make it into something that is like a, like more disgusting than you could think of more silly than you would think it would be honestly more emotional than you think it would be. Uh, and it's just like worked on every level for me. And when it's over, I went, that was an experience that I had. It wasn't just, I wasn't just being entertained. I felt like I changed or grew from watching this movie. Maybe that didn't occur to me the first time that I saw it the second the movie ended, but you know, upon reflection, that's what was happening. So you can do more with, uh, with art basically with art and with horror itself. Yeah. 
You know, it does. Horror doesn't always have to be scary and or it, if it is scary, it doesn't have to be scary all the time. In fact, horror that is also funny can be scarier because you're loosening yourself up yeah, and yes. making yourself more pliant to letting other emotions in. Like the humor is kind of a mm-hmm. way to disarm you so that when something yes. scary or something emotional happens, it hits you harder. Mm-hmm. Yes. Again, I wasn't putting that all together <laughs> when I was in fifth grade, but that's that's what I was recognizing. And that's, you know, from that point on, that's the kind of movies I would gravitate towards. That's how I discovered trauma. And a lot of the B horror movies that were coming out in the 80s, I was taking my bicycle to our local video store and renting all the old horror movies because there was no other way to watch them back then. So yeah. I, mean, yeah. I would rent all the stuff that was in the old section. And I was not as inter- interested in the new movies as so much as I was like blood rage. What's this, you know, like, or whatever. Uh, let's see. I think that actually covers all the teenage questions. So yeah. before we, well, did we do Halloween? Maybe not. Did I ask if you participate in Halloween as a teen? I don't think so. I, you didn't ask me, but I did. <laughs> Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I but I I know you asked the uh, my favorite costume. I don't really remember again, my costumes from this era. I just remember mm. it being more about messing around with my friends and trying to get right. as much candy bars as we could. And Devil's Night. Yeah, mm-hmm. in in New Jersey, apparently this is something that only exists in New Jersey itself. Well, Mischief Night specifically in our area was what we called it. And that was the Mm. night before Halloween. So the 30th of October was a night where you just go out and wreak havoc on your community. And just, yeah, it's tough because the cops also know this. So they're out patrolling, trying Mm -hmm. to stop teenagers from doing it. So there's this, not only are you like tossing eggs and throwing toilet paper, it's mostly harmless stuff. Mm. Yeah. Eggs on car paint is not not harmless. Yeah, true. There's that. Yeah. I remember I was walking around on mischief night. I was walking to my friend's house so we could go out and t- toilet paper or whatever we were planning. And I just got walloped with eggs while walking. Yes. I, they came out oh. of nowhere. I don't know. It was like five eggs just hit me. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going home to change now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what you're supposed to do with them, not hit cars with them. Um, least favorite costume? I, we, I mean, you said you didn't remember any, but I mean, you remember the Reese's Pieces thing, yeah, so yeah. or Reese's cup. I didn't like anything where I have to wear a mask, like yeah, any uh, like a plastic rubber mask. I know, like that was like the cool thing, like a like a Michael Myers mask or something. Um, we went trick or treating with our friend down the street, and he dressed up like Michael Myers for Halloween with the jumpsuit and the mask, and he had his little knife with him and. He took this as an opportunity to not just get candy. Well, he didn't want candy at all. He wanted to embody Michael Myers. So he just kind of trailed behind us, about 15 feet behind us the entire time, just like slowly walking and holding his knife and like trying to be all foreboding and weird. And uh, it gets to that point where we're like, come on, man, that's that's stupid. Stop doing that. But like he wasn't breaking. So like we actually all were pretty uncomfortable with it. So... <laughs> Committing to it, which means he did it well. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but why didn't you like wearing masks? Because I couldn't see or breathe. <laughs> well, yeah, I felt very suffocated. Yeah. I, the reason I ask is because I also don't like. For me, I don't like dressing up at all, mask or not. Oh. And part of it has to do with. 
I, I just like the whole thing is uncomfortable to me. And I, I re I, I realize that on some subconscious level, there's, there's more going on there than just, it's not just that I don't like the mask. Like there's mm-hmm. something about having a facade that I don't like, if that makes sense. And so I, because I know that that's the case for me, I thought I would ask because you never know. It might be the same for you. So, that's- but if not, it, that's fine too. That's interesting because <laughs> you're doing a podcast and so there's a certain era or air air of performance that you have to do when you're when you're doing stuff mm-hmm. like this. Do you not feel like you're putting on a facade just by no being a public facing figure or public person? No, I'm being me. Interesting. Because I I'm not saying I'm not being genuine, but I'm like I need to right. be entertaining. I need to be my mm-hmm. best me at this moment, mm-hmm. you know. And so my best me is not the miserable little bastard that's sitting on my couch <laughs> all Sunday in my underwear, like you know, eating Cheetos all over. Like so, you are. No, I I guess you know for at least um, can't speak for Chris, but for myself this podcast in particular, I mean, the gist of it is that, so I bring the psychology side. Chris is more of a horror fan than I am. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even really call myself a horror fan. I'm more of a a psychology buff, but we have been good friends. And this is sort of an Avenue that both of us said, Hey, we've got something common here. Let's, let's do something together. But for me, I've always had a fascination with, why do people do the things they do? Mm-hmm. And I've also recognized that there are not just in the horror community, but since this, this podcast focuses on the horror community, I will use this as, you know, we're referencing this specifically that, you know, there are a lot of people that the world looks at and, and they kind of feel creeped out by horror fans going, why are you so weird? But I understand that while there are some, probably in the horror community that truly are weird. There are also a lot of people who aren't necessarily weird. They're just not fully understood. And doing this podcast is a way of getting to talk to people who are in the business and and like this stuff Mm -hmm. and having an opportunity to talk about the real reasons that they really like it and trying to understand why do you really like this? And, And having an honest moment to talk about the things that are important to you. And digging into this is exactly the kind of thing that we're into. So, yeah, didn't mean to go off. On a no, no. I, 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 <laughs> just to just just to just to counter that, I've heard people say to like my I don't like wearing a mask, a literal mask because of the comfort. That's <laughs> the whole Halloween mm-hmm. thing. But yes. I've heard people say when they're putting on performance or putting on a mask, a literal mask, dressing up for cosplay. That is in a lot of ways them taking their mask off, like the the mm-hmm. them acting normal or trying to fit in into a society that maybe they don't relate to in a lot of ways or feel comfortable with or they work a job they hate. That's the actual putting a mask yes. on and and being weird or diving into some other aspect of their personality feels a lot more real. real. No, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And I get what you're saying too about, for example, Chris and I doing this, we've only been doing it for about two years. And at some point, you know, years down the road, excuse me, maybe I will get to feel like, like we're doing this more for entertainment than, uh, than anything else. But at least at the moment, I don't feel that way. Um, I can't speak for Chris, but Chris, do you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It could be be both. It could be all things. Everything could be everything. Yeah. 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 Um, hmm. 
Will, what about uh, adult years? What um, what kind of stuff did you experience in your adult years that jumped out to you in the horror field? My my kind of ideas of what horror is have kind of mm-hmm. evolved, and I, I don't know. I think that's why a lot of people when they look at my books and the stuff that I'm making, they don't always necessarily see them as horror immediately because mm-hmm. I'm not so concerned with like, this is the threat and it's the monster and you have to be concerned about the thing that's going to kill you. And that's the situation you're in like a very kind of cut and dry, like trope driven. This is what horror is like the other day I watched uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. And I play. was like, yeah, and I'm, but I was like, this is a horror movie. Like to me, like having, your memory fucked with and forgetting things or falling in love with someone that you know that you can't have for reasons out of your control, just dealing with messy, overly emotional, having an overly emotional response and not being able to get a handle on it or even understand it. That kind of lack of control of your emotion, emotional state seems kind of scary to me. Yes. For anybody who's been in a, very traumatic, you know, emotionally traumatic relationship can speak to the potential of it being horrific. Um, yeah. You know, cause when a good relationship's good, it's, it's, it can be awesome, but when it's bad, it can be real bad. So um, I can definitely see that. So non trope horror, what else would you say has spoken to you in your adult years? Oh man. Anything where like stuff feels uncanny is is kind of a horror movie to me there was another one called this is a newer one it came out like two years ago but it's called vivarium and oh yeah yeah it it stars jesse eisenberg and uh, emojin poots i think i don't know there are a couple and they go to check out a house in the suburbs or in a one of those planned community type suburbs where all the houses look the same and they get to this house and they realize they can't get out of the suburb or out of the planned community. No matter what they do, they drive around, they can't get out. They look at the sky, all the clouds look fake. And then they're being forced to live in this house by forces that they don't understand. And they give them a child in a box and say, you now have to raise this child. But the child is like this. It watches like, yeah, like it's got like weird teeth. It's growing too quickly. It watches like static on TV and it's just something that they don't understand and can't relate to. It's, you know, it's a fear of the movies dealing with fears of uh, parenthood and fears of sameness, suburban sameness and and not Mm -hmm. being, not being an individual and stuff or not being able to understand people around you. And I guess that movie is a little more horror oriented, but I don't think, a lot of horror fans necessarily have either latched onto it or identified it as such. They just go, this is a weird movie where weird things happen. And no, I'm like, yeah, th- that's what makes it scary because weird yeah. things are happening. Yeah. That's interesting. It's almost like a combination of that, uh, Star Trek episode, the menagerie. And, um, what's the other Jim Carrey thing? Um, Truman show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is a lot like that Star Trek episode Menagerie because I mean, that's um, I was curious because I'd never heard the term before, but I looked up vivarium and that's what a vivarium is, is um, it's like an aquarium terrarium, but also uh, oh, it's what's that thing that's like a display. Um, where you oh, do a scene yeah. like a 
like a tableau. Yeah, I know. Yeah, kind of. But no. yeah, it's it's an aquarium or, or a terrarium that's meant to be on display for people to look at in public, and that's oh. what vivarium kind of is in a way. It's but they do it weird with like isolated other dimensional places because you can fall through the floor and be in someone else's house. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> now that was a cool flick. I liked it. Yeah, it was, yeah I was right. Gonna... I was one of the movies where I was just like, oh, man, like I had felt dread while watching that. And that's yeah. not something that I get to experience a lot, especially especially yeah, yeah. like getting get, watching a ton of movies, reading a ton of books, being into horror itself. It's hard to find stuff that's going to actually give you a, a, a emotional reaction. It, 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 what were you dreading? I <laughs> just the it's more about what the movie is about than what's happening on the screen. So th- again, not watching these characters, not being able to communicate or f- help themselves or fix their situation and watching all this time pass, you know, they're there for an untold amount of time. Like this kid is becoming an adult around them and they don't get older themselves, but maybe they're there for 30 years. Maybe they're there for a weekend. Like it's completely unspecified. And, hmm. uh, I look at like my own life and I'm like, well, you know, I've lived in an apartment, the same apartment for a year and a half now. I'm like, every day is the same. That is mm-hmm. terrifying. It's, it's that, you know, that's not true. But the, it, when you, when you look at it in, as a whole, you're like, well, yeah, overall, most days are the same. Like, and that's going to be true of anywhere you go, but mm-hmm. we don't know. We like, right. we have no idea how long they're there or what is happening. It looks like the kids growing up very fast. So it doesn't, because they are not changing, but maybe, what is this movie is suggesting because it is very allegorical is that you are the same person and everything will change around you and you'll just understand less and less until you get until you disappear at some point you until you die or you you just become irrelevant and that's the end Mm -hmm. yeah and that's something i think as an adult uh i have more and more come to understand that you know it I, it's uh, like I'm watching my touchstones of of like pop culture slowly become more and more obscure. Like yes. I'm seeing like this other. Not that people are talking about things that I don't know because yes, I was alive when twenty year olds were alive, so I saw that thing. Unless it was some kids' <laughs> cartoon, which I wasn't paying attention right. to. So yeah, right. yes, I was there. But like the things from when I was younger, the movies and stuff that made me who I am are becoming less a part of the zeitgeist and i have to kind of recall who i'm talking to yes and you know like i'll be on twitter making a joke and i'm like people between 35 and 45 they're the only ones who know what i'm talking about right now <laughs> or older yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I, I get that too because there are times where i'll like perfect example talking with chris we'll pass jokes back and forth with each other where we are referencing things from our parents generation mm-hmm. and then and we both understand the reference but i realize that anybody listening to this who's younger than we are it's going to be like when i was a kid and hearing my parents joke about something that happened in the 1920s like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's just so weird to to be in this spot now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a weird kind of limbo in between kind of spot, like bridging the generational gap, so to speak. Yeah. Or now being on that generational gap where before I wasn't. I don't understand the TikToks. I don't <laughs> like these kids these days. 
So a lot, a lot of the horror I'm relating to now has to do with that kind of stuff, getting older, mm-hmm. aging itself. Um, that mm-hmm. mo- there was a movie that just came out called X. Um, I still haven't it, seen it. It looks good. Yeah, well, I won't give you any spoilers, but it's a it's a slasher movie, and it's about yeah. these these people shooting a porn at a farmhouse. It's kind of a Texas chainsaw riff, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, but the, the there's these old people that live in the farmhouse that they're renting from. They're very old people, like in makeup to look even older. They're grotesque looking, mm-hmm. and y- 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 you could look at it and go, "Oh, this is just they're trying to make old people scary," and that's not. That's not cool. That's not what that this is supposed to be. But I think the idea is that these are young, hot people. They're shooting pornography and they're all at the prime of their life. And this is the future that awaits them is these old Ooh. folks in this house that they that they they're, they're trapped with. And it is a, like I'm like, that freaks me out. Like, that's why the old people are scary. They're not scary because they're old. They're, you're, they're scary because you're going to become old. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, you know, if, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. I've like uh, there's a quote that I want read once that I really liked. It said, um, "Beautiful young people are freaks of nature. Beautiful old people are works of art." Mm. Oh, I love mm. it. Yeah, I like that. Um, because you don't those those don't always happen by accident. Although I will say there are probably some older people that got blessed with the uh, the genes. And that has definitely uh, helped them, but maintaining them is not uh, not the easiest. So, yeah, you mentioned having reoccurring dreams as an adult. Yeah, well, I have one reoccurring dream. I don't. I, I know you said you're into psychology, and, and sh- so this is going to sound like it's a, a, a prime for dissection. And maybe it is. Okay. I don't know. I have this dream where I'm just living my life and I'm having fun at a party or something. And then all of a sudden, a dead body shows up like in a suitcase or something mm. and someone uncovers it. And then I have this sinking feeling of dread that I was the one who killed this person. <laughs> I don't I don't know who they are, the, the dead body. I But I have this feeling that I did something that caused them to die and I buried it. And I thought it was gone forever so much so that I completely forgot that I had done the thing that killed them. And then having that realization that I had done that and having myself be exposed. This is this reoccurring dream I have. I have it about once every few months. Hmm. So it's not that it's I mean, yeah, it's it's a dread filled dream. It's not a it's not necessarily a scary dream, but it is hmm. one of just dawning horror, internal horror. Yeah, no, it's, well, that's an internal discomfort. Like, what am yeah. I going to do with this dead body now that could <laughs> potentially get me in jail for the rest of my life? Well, like everybody mm. knows. That's the thing. Everybody sees everyone. This thing has been exposed and everyone knows that I did it. And I'm not like I'm going to get arrested. I'm just like, I can't believe that I had something to do with this. And I had suppressed the thought or f- have forgotten it or whatever. Well, I think you touched on the right word there, exposed. You're, there's a fear of being exposed. So then the question mm-hmm. is, what are you afraid of being of being exposed? Yeah. And the symbolic, I guess, representation there of a dead body could be related to, you know, your love of horror and, you know, feeling like what we talked about earlier that, you know, if society thinks that you're a weirdo because you like horror, then you know, going through life, being afraid that people think you like horror could be a terrifying thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, in the, 
I, I think too, as I've gotten, especially in the past 10 years where I, I've been writing and getting my stuff into more in front of more and more eyeballs, there's a lot in these stories of that are my personal feelings and thoughts and stuff and things that I've gone through. It's it, there, you know, these stories aren't about me per se, but they are allegories for things that I've trying to work through in a lot of ways. Um, like, like my book, I will rot without you is about a guy whose girlfriend has broken up with him and he lives in a shitty apartment. And then his body starts to rot apart piece by piece as he's having this kind of emotional breakdown. And he's trying to figure out how to move on and get himself back together and physically stop himself from becoming decaying into nothing. And, uh, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm not physically rotting apart, at, the, at least not at this right. point in my life. But I have gone through breakups that have been very emotional and difficult for me. And I was drawing right. on a lot of that experience to try and tell this story. So I had to, while the character is not me and is not espousing my philosophies on life, a lot of the personal places that that character is coming from are things that I've had to draw on my own life from. So in a way, I have to do a lot of self-examination to create a horror story. And even though the audience reading it has no idea that I had to do all that, or it is in there. <laughs> so mm -hmm. there is a lot of me personally in all of these things. And it's I very likely what the audience is relating to in the first place. Yeah, uh, that, that's probably 100% true. And, but I, <laughs> but at the same time, that's a scary thing to, to kind of write something that is, that has pieces of you inside of it. Yeah. Yes. There's, there's people out there that that's all they do. They tell their story. They're telling them their, their personal essay or, 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 you know, uh, well, that's just uh, internal personal plagiarism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but like stuff like horror, you're, 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 you're in a different kind of reality. You're dealing with a different version of the world that, is heightened in a lot of ways so you can mm -hmm. explore things in different directions and and so it doesn't necessarily seem like a one-to-one -one, i'm this is this character is feeling this way because i felt a certain way and i think that's how this character would react to it based off of what i know about how i felt well i mean one of the goals of being a good author i in my opinion anyway is having characters that do things that other people would read and go, yeah, that would make sense for that character to do because I, I don't know about you, but I mean, the thing that always throws me off of not just, you know, movies or anything, but the, the underlying writing is when characters do shit that I just think don't make sense, you know? So of course you want to have something be relatable and the easiest way to know that something is relatable is to write about it from your own experience. Cause you, I went through this and this is what I did. So I know somebody else would do that. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like that. I like that that how you said that. The uh it's not it's not that the world the world cannot make sense, right? Like mm -hmm. a, a a horror world is not the real world. A guy drives a car into a strange town and everybody's being weird on him and there's things in the sewers or whatever, right? Like that's not really what the world is. But how he reacts to that has to feel genuine and real. The need to feel genuine in storytelling in general, whether it's horror or not, is I would say the primary importance because if you can't, if it doesn't come off as genuine, then it's not really a story. I mean, I guess you could do it in comedy, but 
then it turns into something else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that's why I'm saying like all my stories feel like horror stories too, because of that feeling of being exposed. It's a terrifying thing. And that's personally for me, they all feel like horror stories. Anything where you're dealing with big, uncontrollable emotions or big situations that you have a character who's having a hard time dealing with something. I'm like, that's drama or whatever, but it's also terrifying. It's scary. Yeah. And actually, kind of let me jump past some of our uh, questions here to some of our later ones. Then I always personally find that the emotion is the primary thing, not only in horror, but other genres too, like, you know, drama uh, or action adventure, you know, there's, there's always the question of what's the emotion that's being portrayed and how do we address that? So actually, you know what, let me, back up a step and ask a couple questions before I get to that one. Um, I'm going to ask you two questions at the same time. They could be the same answer or different answers. Um, I think we already know the answer for one of them. <laughs> maybe. What is your favorite movie? And what movie would you say you've watched more times than any other? Oh, oh man. Um, well, my, and being that you're a liter- literary person, I'll also accept books. <laughs> if that makes it easier. No. Well, the thing is the movies, there, there's my favorite movie is something that always changes because it has to be something that I can currently relate to. There's certain timeless things, movies I've watched hundreds of times. And like I said before, Dead Alive was one of my favorite movies I've watched. I've watched it at least 20 times. I've shown it to anyone who I've ever met who hasn't seen it. I show it to them. Like that's one of those kind of movies. My personal favorite movie right now, though, is The Beach Bum. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> which is not a horror movie at all it has nothing to do with it it's about a yeah. it's a I don't, it's a harmony corinne movie or about a matthew okay. mcconaughey rolling around oh yeah. yeah i do remember seeing the previews for this one now and that did those two things just peeked out to me like all right it's matthew mcconaughey and it's harmony corinne i, yeah. I might have to watch this one it, what's it about he's a he's a poet and he's has to write he was trying to write his great novel his great book of poetry that's going to get him famous and he just kind of rolls he's kind of stoned and lives by his own rules on the on the outskirts or edges of society and he just kind of goes from place to place and character to character in the in the florida keys and the harmony korean movies are very much tone movies and not necessarily plot movies so it's hard to say what it's about (laughs) definitely yeah steve if you don't recognize the name it's the same guy who did kids in gummo uh, yeah, I recognize the name, but it's basically on a journey. Yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not, they're not plot heavy. They're, they're not even really, they're kind of, you find a, you just have a character or sometimes it's not even a character. His movies are very much just about a feeling that he's creating. They're cut very strange, mm-hmm. like scenes just kind of flow into each other without much narrative. And there's a lot of music cues. Is there a kind of general play. feeling that you would describe this film with? The Beach Bum is, I like it because it fills me with the exact opposite of what horror movies are supposed to fill me with. I feel, I get filled with hope and like happiness when I watch it. That's why it's my favorite movie. I like, it makes me feel, it makes my heart feel big. And he has a, he has a little thing at the end of the movie where he's talking about his philosophy and he says he's a reverse paranoiac. He says he feels like the universe is conspiring to make everything work out for him. Mm. <laughs> and I'm just like, 
Maybe it's because I don't feel that way that I feel like this is such a good movie because I'm like, I wish right. I was this guy. I wish I had that kind right. of outlook on life. Mm. And so the one you said that you've watched more times than any other, would that be Dead Alive? Yeah. I mean, that's one of them. It's like Dead Alive, Ghostbusters, and The Toxic Avenger. I've watched a lot, too. Uh, okay. Yeah. Do you see any common threads about what kind of horror that you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, body horror is kind of where most of my stuff lands. Most of the things that I, when I look at a, a movie or read it or read a book, the stuff that's about that visceral, rotting, mm-hmm. uncontrolled, my, I can't, David Cronenberg movies specifically are, are kind oh, of yeah. right in my, right in my, some of my favorite stuff. Um, it's harder to say books. I didn't actually start reading horror fiction until like I was in my 30s, which is very weird because yeah. I really liked movies, horror movies all throughout my life. And I read a little bit of Stephen King when I was very young because my mom liked Stephen King and that was something that she would give me. But I didn't really get into any of the other authors or more of that stuff, especially now as a writer, I'm into you know the underground horror scene i guess you could call it mm. i think i know the answer to this question but i'll ask it anyway just to see what you say do you have any idea why it is that you like body horror just kind of going back to what we were talking about just like watching yourself change as you get older is in an uncontrollable way it's especially the, uh, the lack of control of being able to change that like it just happens you have no choice yes mortality existentialism as, as Chris just said, lack of control. I like that one. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the, you know, last questions that we asked then is why horror? Because couldn't you address some of these concerns in other genres? For example, you know, vulnerability and feeling exposed often comes up, for example, in rom-coms, mortality and existentialism. Mm. I mean, mortality definitely comes up in like war movies. Yeah. I don't know about existential, ex- existentialism. They can come up in dramas maybe but asking the question to to you danger it's just like the one genre i think that i most identified with from an early age aside from comedy i i think you know i mean kids like to laugh at stuff so but comedies don't even really exist anymore you don't really see movies coming out that are just straight comedies they're just like it's an action comedy or a horror comedy or something else yeah um I will say that for Will Ferrell. I've never really been a huge Will Ferrell fan, but a lot of his like Talladega Nights, I mean, just, there's nothing there but comedy, yeah. really. I mean, yeah. But then again, that movie's 15 years old at this point, right? Like, that's, true. Not, that's not part of... Now, like it or hate it, everything is kind of... The movie studios are like, we're going to put all of our money into $200 million productions that are going to support this studio and be the biggest thing that comes out this year. Check all the boxes. And no money's going to anything else. So there is a a nice scene of like independent movies that are coming out that have a lot of imagination and a lot of interesting things going on. But the big Hollywood movies are not doing any of that right now. Especially after COVID too, where they're like, we only can make IP move. You know, yeah, movies, and they're, they're all cashing in on our old IP because we need to playing make it like a hundred and fifty percent safe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, I also understand kind of how it works. They they have you know the big say let's say the big labels that do that, and then they've got their smaller labels that they say, okay, well, we made a hundred million dollars, we'll we'll put ten million to this, you know 
minor label company yeah. and you know play with that but you know we're we're taking our mo- our main most of our money and putting that in the bank which as an adult i now understand <laughs> mm-hmm. i think uh like if i were to summarize this call the things that are coming up um we did definitely talk about mortality and existentialism um but also vulnerability and, and feeling exposed which are all you know obviously valid concerns and fears that come up with uh with horror for you at least unless you can think of some other better explanation of you know what you get out of it or if there's any uh anything that you can think of that would be relevant that we haven't talked about uh no not really i i was just thinking because you know we're talking about you you just summarized here. You're like, this is what you find scary, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. Well, and, <laughs> but I'm th- I wouldn't just say it's the only thing that you find scary, but it's definitely these are themes that keep coming up. Well, I'm thinking it, I might have a lot to do with just being like a guy, because mm-hmm. <laughs> like and uh, where I grew up and stuff. Because I don't think there's been many instances in my life where I felt physically threatened by someone, or at least not in a way that I didn't feel like I could fight back and defend myself. So movies mm-hmm. where people in books and in situations where people are in physical jeopardy, if, you know, whether by threat of another person or, or whatever the case is, don't always relate to me. I don't always relate to as much as stuff as feeling uh, psychologically in, de- in jeopardy, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of my life, I've, that's the stuff I've kind of glommed onto. And it's kind of a feedback loop too. You, you identify with something at a young age and then you go, that's what I like. So then you consume more of it and then you think more in that way. So you become this thing that you, that you've kind of slowly morphed yourself into uh, without mm. even knowing it. And, and yeah, so now uh, all my thoughts are these deep exist, not all my thoughts, but all my thoughts when I'm creating <laughs> art and consuming horror and stuff that I like, or like, is it hitting me on that level? Is it hitting me on a level yeah. that goes, am I, is this something that I'm going to become like, that I am going to have to face at some point? Mm. And it's, and it, well, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. What I was going to say is, something I've said before on these calls, I I like to say that, you know, people, people often say that we are, uh, our brains are pattern finding machines. I like to say that that's true, but we are also emotional processing machines. We, we experience some emotion and then we go, how do I handle that? How do I, how do, how do I, what do I do with this to resolve it? To not, not to make it go away, but to go back to a state of calmness. For example, you know, we talked earlier about, uh, Sarah, the, the girl that we talked to who was dealing with her grief surrounding her, her father's death. In your case, it sounds like the emotions that you're processing are the vulnerability and, and feeling exposed. And how do I, how do I process these things? And like you just said, you keyed into okay so maybe i don't feel exposed physically but i feel exposed you know psychologically and then how do i deal with that that's not a judgment thing i'm just a it's an observational thing if that makes sense yeah and and you're right and i and there is i don't want to really get into it but i could trace back why i feel like that and why i always kind of identified with it from when I was little and stuff too. So like, yeah, it's, that's it. That That's it. That's 100% it. 
we don't have to dig into it, but I mean, if you want to share, well, no, it's a little, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's fine. I, I'm not going to push <laughs> completely understand. Yeah. Just thought I'd throw it out there. Cause you never, you never know. Maybe. Um, well, we very much appreciate your time this Sunday. Uh, yeah. Hopefully it feels like it's been productive for you as well. It was. This has been a great conversation. We went two hours. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, there's no way it's going to be more than an hour and 15 minutes. What do we have to talk about? Time flies when you're having fun. And, and when you're talking about the things that you love, all of a sudden you're going for half an hour on something that you thought you'd only have 10 minutes worth. So, yeah. But, and, you know, and, I, and I kept having new, I'm like, I'm like, Oh, you're like, what movie? And I'm like, or what, what thing made you think of it? What thing were you scared of when you were 10? And I'm like this, but then I'm like, Oh, but also this and also mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Oh shit. You were so, not, not alone in this. Yeah, I guess I was yeah. scared of a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Uh, let me just hit the closing. Thank you to anybody out there listening. Again, please do come visit, visit us at horrormixeshappy.com. Uh, we've got a list of people there we'd like to interview. If you'd like to have anybody added to the list or, or can help us get in touch with anyone on the list, let us know. Uh, there's also merch and Patreon and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, but if that's not your thing, then just tell a friend. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>